Welcome back to Burn the Haystack with Josh and Jesse. I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is a podcast to help you save the best and burn the rest of your culture and faith practices. And I got a new attachment for my microphone and now it is loud and clear and the clouds have been lifted. <laughs> I don't know if anybody listening will notice, but I notice, so I'm having a great time. What is that? What is that song? Morning has broken clouds of something. I don't know. Is that, is that a hymn, maybe? I think it might be a hymn. It's a bit, oh, that's probably with. why I don't know it. Yeah, you heathen who doesn't know any hymns. Oh. I was I was brought up on hymns. I had no choice. Like People think, look at me, and they think that I'm just some hipster, young, 27-year-old pastor who only knows Hillsong, but I actually know so many hymns because I was it was forced upon me as a child. Like I understand like this this, you know, subculture that we all kind of have to live with. I like how I like how your that. description of yourself was like people look at me and probably just think like I'm a hipster and I'm 27. I'm like no one says that about themselves, Jesse. Well, <laughs> it's very important to have a healthy self-image, Josh. Yeah, okay, it's very, it's very important. Yeah, but that's one of the big differences between you and I. I did mm. not grow up on hymns at all. I know yeah. no hymns, which as a pastor is a surprisingly challenging obstacle. Because yeah. you go and preach at a little rural church and like, what hymns do you want to sing today? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. So you just lift up, list off a bunch of random numbers and hope for the best. <laughs> when I, I was when I first started, I would I would try and mess with people. So I would always tell them that I wanted to sing hymn number six six six, which is some beautiful. Hymn. I can't remember what the hymn is. It's a beautiful hymn. But then yeah. people would go, Are you sure? <laughs> I'm like, yes, that's that's what I want. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah. Um, Hey, well, anyway, today uh, we have a big topic to discuss. We're straight up just going to be talking about um, women's ordination, ordination, pastoring. Uh, there's a fair bit of controversy around that, at least in our particular <laughs> denomination. So a we thought, why bit. not talk about it? <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. This is one of, well, look, it, depending on what um, news outlets that you read or watch or listen to, um, you might think of this as one of the issues facing the church today, or you might think of this as the issue facing the church today, as one publication I recently read declared that this is the big and only issue facing the church, which the I think only is... issue. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm serious. Like, I'm not going to say what publication this is because I frankly don't want you to read it, but <laughs> this is um, this this is what some people think. Um, so it's fairly it's fairly serious. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It is a big issue. I wouldn't say it's the only issue, but it is a big yeah. issue. So um and I mean full disclosure, we were gonna talk about we were waiting to talk about this. We were waiting to get the right guest on the show to talk about it. Mm. But um recently we had a great conversation with a friend um in Brisbane. <laughs> who shall who shall remain nameless, but yeah. <laughs> uh, um, but she knows who she is and she knows what she did. Why are you saying she? That gives it away. So okay. Anyway, I mean he or she. Oh my goodness. Anyway, or she? I don't know. Uh, anyway, this particular person um, told us, look, you know, you you can't do it with a guest. This is one you've got to do yourselves because everybody like that's what people would want. And yeah, well. The yeah. way she put it, it's, I, I think it's important to mention that she was a woman because we wanted to have 
somebody who I don't know, like in my mind, somebody who was like an authority on on women's ordination, somebody who either had done the biblical research or who was a woman in ministry themselves, because I always thought, well, does anybody actually want a bunch two got two white straight males to talk about something which is you know, doesn't really affect us directly. Like it affects Josh more directly for reasons that many of you already know and we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, but it do- certainly doesn't affect me. Like I'm not a woman and I don't have that many female um, peers in my immediate context that I do ministry with um, in ministry. Mm. That I do ministry with in ministry. That makes total sense, Jesse. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So essentially, she told us that, yeah. But if you guys talk, like people, in a way, people people want to hear men talking about it, not, not more women talking about it. And I felt that was pretty justified. So hence, yeah. we thought, you know what? Let's just do it. We've both done the research prior to this. And so we thought, let's just do it. And I don't know if people want us to keep talking about it. If they do want us to get a guest, let us know. We will. Yeah. Uh, but before that, you didn't think we'd forgot, did you? Absolutely <laughs> not. We have to do the question of the week. Uh, all right, Jesse. I've got you. Okay. Yep. Last video you watched as just like a random YouTube recommendation. So it's a channel you don't follow or anything. You ah. just just a random YouTube recommendation that you watched. Um. I think the last one would have been a Vice documentary on... No, no, it wasn't. I watched. I recently watched a Vice documentary on a woman who lives in um, the far reaches of Siberia because huh. I've been recently just fascinated by Siberia um, and um, there's a peninsula off Siberia that I'm totally blanking on now um Ken, Kanchatka Kanchatka um, <laughs> yes just rolls off the tongue <laughs> oh yes yeah. uh, the the reason that you might have heard of that is because it's actually a province in risk the board game that you can actually take um oh. control of it's like the <laughs> it's like the easternmost region in in Russia that you can take control of in the risk board game and i always go for that because uh, asia is really hard to um Age is really hard to hold, but it's really satisfying to hold. Anyway, there was that one. And then there was another one that was talking about how Rwanda is becoming the Singapore of Africa. So, (laughs) for some reason... Like super rich and... Yeah, well, it's a developing nation. They are recovering from the Rwandan genocide in the 90s. And they are actually opening up a whole bunch of stadiums and high rises and office areas um and they're becoming they're becoming more and more a a business hub they've got their own airline now which is fast becoming one of the most popular and um best quality airlines in africa Um, oh recently i've just been on a like an economics history sort of binge when it comes to youtube that's been it's been kind of weird because i've never really been into that in a meaningful way but for some reason that's what i've been watching and reading about recently so yeah i'm i don't know if i don't know if that's really interesting or really boring let's either one of the two it's definitely one of them (laughs) um sorry um i uh okay my last youtuber oh no they sound pretty interesting i'm actually kind of curious about the siberia one but anyway 
no, maybe they're one. I actually am kind of interested in them. So anyway, maybe you'll have to send them to me. But okay, last one I watched was actually oh yeah, no, it was this morning. Um, randomly came up with this video of um, Korean boy meets American girl for the first time. I've seen that on my recommendations, but I have not watched it. Is yeah. it actually all that? It was really cute. I, okay, <laughs> it's adorable because he's. He like not to be mean, but he because he even says it in himself in the video. But his English isn't that great. Yeah, and so like watching them try and talk with uh, like no adults or anything around. I think he was ten, she was eight, and they were just so cute. Um, eventually he pulls out his phone and it's got this like translator, so he's asking her questions through the phone and she's answering. And that yeah. is so adorable. There's this one part of it. I like it's all over the YouTube comments on the video because he asks like, "How old are you?" and then she says, "Good." <laughs> and it's just like how old are you good me and my crush you know that sort of thing <laughs> like, and then he's just like what and she's like what and it's, anyway it was a really cute little that video that is so funny and now they've started making more videos of those two interacting Aww. so there's one now of him teaching her Korean and stuff it was really cute that, sounds, video. that sounds lovely breaking down walls you know yeah that was nice um, <laughs> so anyway that was the last one I watched Cool. Cool. Maybe yeah. I'll have to watch that. I've been, I've, I saw it on my recommendations like three times the last few days, but I just haven't seen it. Uh, probably one of those ones where YouTube's algorithm just goes nuts and recommends this one video to mm. every single person ever. Yeah. Yeah. That's yep. that's what happens. Like I remember um, a few months ago now, um, YouTube just started to recommend PewDiePie's first video ever, like that one where he's playing <laughs> Minecraft. Oh, really? <laughs> I think it's well, because that makes of. Sense. Yeah, it's because I guess because of the success of his Minecraft series, and then I started to um, read all the comments, and everybody was like getting the same thing, and I was like, "Oh, hang on!" Like YouTube's recommendation system that just kind of goes nuts, and then everybody gets recommended. That's so bizarre. Yeah, well, yeah. Even I remember I sent to you like randomly. YouTube recommended me um, Mar- Marcus Brown's first first ever video. He's like a kid, oh, <laughs> and he's reviewing yeah. this. HP laptop, but he's recording the whole thing on the HP laptop, so it's <laughs> <laughs> so he's just reviewing the remote. Anyway, that's yeah. so funny. But I was like, "What? I don't ever watch his channel that much." Anyway, but it was yeah, it was nice. Okay, <laughs> all right. So, yep, that's our question of the week. Maybe you can ask that to a friend sometime. Mm. I don't know. <laughs> Sounds like an interesting and relatable question to ask to your friends. <laughs> conversation. It's a good conversation starter, actually. Yeah. So, what's the last YouTube recommended video you watch? Anyway, all depends, right. Depends who your friend is. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. Like, maybe they don't watch YouTube, or maybe all they watch on YouTube is like Jordan Peterson and Ben Shapiro. So that's all oh. they get recommended all the time. Ugh. I mean, yeah, I like I like Jordan Peterson and Ben Shapiro, but I probably wouldn't want to watch them all the time, all the- <laughs> exclusively. That would probably be very like mentally draining after a while. Yeah, <laughs> be like, can only take so much. Yeah. All right. All right. Let's stop. Let's, let's stop skirting around the issue. Sorry, you keep trying to go to it and I keep cutting you off because it's not because I don't want to talk about this. <laughs> well, I kind of don't want to talk about it, but <laughs> no, I, no, I do want to talk about it. I am, I am, yeah, but it's just one of those things like, oh, where do you start? Yeah, yeah, it is hard. So yeah, women's ordination. Um, where do we start? Well, I think we should probably start with our biases. That's probably a good place to to begin to admit um, we probably very easily fall on the I don't know would we would you would you term yourself because 
there's two kind of camps when it comes to this. There's either the complementarian camp or the egalitarian camp. Would you kind of classify yourself hard in one camp or the other or, or not? Or what do you think? Uh, for those listening at home who don't know what those words mean, uh, would you like to give a quick definition, Jason? Okay. Okay. So, uh, the complementarian camp basically the says women and men are different. They complement each other in different ways and they have different roles. So, in other words, men can be pastors, but women can't. Men can preach, but women can only lead a children's Sabbath school or Sunday school group. Um, whereas the egalitarian camp kind of more goes along with the, the fact that women and men, I think there's probably a split in the egalitarian camp, either one of them. One of them would say uh, women and men are the same and they can do the same thing because they're the same. And there's probably another uh, part in that camp that says women and men are different, but that doesn't mean that they can't do the same roles. Hmm. Um, you know, I, don't, I actually don't know where I stand on that because, I mean, I definitely used to be a lot more probably com- complementarian. Um, okay. Like when I was a teenager and stuff, I think I just heard a sermon on it and was like, oh, yep, that's it. That's what I believe in. Yep. I don't know. But over time, actually getting to know more women and understanding, not that I would say I have a thorough understanding of women, but just getting a bigger <laughs> understanding of women, <laughs> and, you know, being married and stuff and I don't know I think over time I've been like oh actually like things that I thought only men could do I definitely I definitely backtrack on that I still think like obviously men and women are different like we're made differently but I don't think I don't think it comes at the cost that you can't do like like that you you can't do things like I even just found out the other day that there are male midwives to me I was always like what there could never be a male midwife but Apparently in the UK, it's somewhat popular. Well, it interests me that you said obviously men and women are different because there is a very strong camp these days that says that differences in gender are socially constructed. No, I don't. I don't agree with that. I believe there are physical differences between men and women. Oh yeah. Like on average, men are taller. On average, men are stronger. Obviously, there are very tall women. There are very strong women as well. I'm not saying that women can't be those things. I'm just talking about pure averages. This is very yeah. Jordan Peterson. <laughs> a little, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, he's he's taken the social constructionist to town when it comes to some of those beliefs. Um, so you could definitely relate that idea with Jordan Peterson. But I mean, yeah. from a biological perspective, that's our perspective at least. I, yeah, you that's know, all I, I'm talking about. I'm not like, saying that I disagree with you. I actually agree with you that men and women are clearly different. But I think I fall into the egalitarian camp that says women and men are different, but that doesn't mean that they can, they have to be restricted to specific gender roles. Okay, yeah, I probably would fall into that. Yes. Right. Okay. Yeah. So but I, I would mean, say I used to be more comp- I used to be the other one more, and now okay. I'm that one. Yeah. So yeah. I, that's that's our bias as well. I mean, like you and I both have friends who are women in ministry, and my mum's a it. pastor. Your mum's a pastor. That's probably a pretty big bias. That's a, yeah. That's a huge bias. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is you know that is what it is. It's neither neither good nor bad. That's just it is. Um, I think it's good. Oh, well, yeah. For Maybe sure. that's a bias. I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, depends who yeah. you're talking to, <laughs> you know. Well, that's yeah, just that's so. just a reality. So, as we get into this discussion, I just want us to be clear that, yes, we have biases. Yes, we lean in a particular direction. But 
I don't want us to be incredibly dogmatic about this position because I do believe that God is still speaking to us, that God still has something to say to us in the church today. Um, and that though we might hold one opinion today doesn't mean that we shouldn't be open and willing for him to change it tomorrow. Mm. Um, yeah, so that that's that's where we're going. Uh, many of you probably can un- understand um, and already kind of know where we're going. But I just wanted to get that out of the way to declare, hey, this is where we stand right now, but that may change in the future. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think, yeah, I mean, full full confession from my, my side, obviously coming from like a household where my mum was in ministry and seeing so much good done through, through, through my mum and what she was able to do, um, it's always been pretty challenging for me to even try to see this from another side, but I can honestly say like, I've, I've done my best to like, to like look into it and try to hear, and I've listened to sermons and lectures and all that sort of thing, um, from multiple perspectives. So I don't know. Yeah. I'm just, but it it is like, obviously when you've grown up in something, it's always going to be a little bit hard to, to know, to know something else, I guess. (laughs) <laughs> I'm not yeah. wording that. I'm not wording that very good. But I just want you guys to, be, to, yeah, I guess to just know that that's that's where I'm coming from. Yeah. Um, so I guess Jesse and I, in, in some ways, we probably see this a little bit differently. Um, and you know, we, we've shared, we've had conversations about it before. So um, yeah, I don't know. So yeah. anyway, that's I guess where we're coming from. And yeah, and we're it, totally it, open to dialogue and conversation around this. It should be noted as well that we are not um, theologians. You know, we're coming at this from more of a pastoral perspective uh, and more of a, a ministry perspective than a purely academic perspective. So also bear that in mind as we talk about this stuff. Well, we are theologians, just not professional theologians. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. if, you, if, you, if you want to be really petty, yes. Everybody's a theologian. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, okay, we're more we're more theologians than just anybody. But okay, anyway, that's just that's a different matter. <laughs> oh <my> All gosh. right. <laughs> okay. I feel like we're still just trying to avoid the actual topic. So let's actually just dive into it then, shall <laughs> so, okay, we? Okay, yes. Shall we? We shall. All right, uh, probably a good place to start is just on ordination. What is ordination? Where does it come from? What's the big deal? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Jesse, did you want to start on that? Yeah, well, I mean, it's pretty simple, uh, at least the way that I see it. Ordination is a it's a biblical principle. Uh, we see it in the ministry of Jesus. We see it when he is um, ordaining uh, his disciples to go out and do ministry, to go out and do miracles, to um, preach and teach in his name. Um, ordination in the New Testament particularly, it's it's a laying of hands, a laying on of hands. It is a an affirmation of the spirit at work within an individual. And it is, I suppose, an affirmation of the church that what an individual is doing in ministry is ordained by God and that they have the Spirit of God with them and that the church affirms their, um, their I guess, approval and validation of that in- in- individual's ministry. Um, yeah. It's like a setting apart as well yeah. for, for a ministry. I mean, that sort of comes from the Old Testament when they would ordain the priests mm. in the um, tabernacle to work with, you know, the the 
and then yeah, it sort of travelled through. But it, interesting in the New Testament, it, it, I kind of I think it only talks about it with with um, elders, oh, yeah. and deacons. I think so. Yeah, I believe so, I believe you're correct. Yeah, so you don't really see it with pastors. Funnily enough, that's something that we've just said. Oh well, you know, if it happens with elders and deacons, obviously it should happen with pastors too, which I think is pretty fair. It's kind of like I mean, it is interesting to note that, and we shouldn't you know skip over that pretty lightly because whilst we do have a explicit command for deacons and for elders there is no explicit command for um pastors and this will kind of bleed into our discussion on what is a pastor um because again that's a biblical term that kind of we've muddied a little bit in a way but you could probably take that command as extended application which is this idea like when you're studying the bible you exegete what is the bible Say, what is the original intention of the text? And then you form a hermeneutic, you know, what is this going to say to me today? Um, and then there's something called extended application, which isn't explicit, but it's something that you could apply as a principle. Mm. It's like a biblical principle. So I would say that ordination as applied to pastoral ministry is definitely extended application, um, which makes it yeah. interesting the way that we read that. You know, I, I feel like that should change the way that we should read it. Well, yeah, I don't know. It is interesting because you could probably just swap out. You could probably just swap out elders, deacons for just ministry leaders. That is true. You know, so I think, I don't know. I guess it is extended application if you look, if you're being like right down to the word. But mm. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> for yeah. me, it makes sense. I, like, it makes sense to just say, oh, yeah, well, if you're going to ordain, you just ordain all your ministry leaders. But. Extended application doesn't mean that it's less, you know, like it's less impactful. It just means that it's you have to do a little bit of work to actually apply it because, yeah. well, I mean, we live in a completely different context. We live 20 centuries away from the writings of these texts. So, it's a long time. It, it would make sense that you have to do a little bit of work to actually apply the thing. I mean, that just makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. You're absolutely right. Um, um, so, it's pretty simple ordination at the end of the day. It's... I mean, it's profound and it's important and it's a really cool. I I love the, the process of, you know, ordaining someone for a ministry and um, like being a part of it, like laying hands on someone. I think it's really special. Yeah. Um, yeah. But ultimately, that's what it is. It's just a laying of hand, laying on of hands as a rep- representation of God God's hand on your life. Mm. And um, yeah, you're being set apart for that ministry. So yeah. really cool. But I really like I really like the way sorry before we move on I really like yeah, the yeah. way that certain churches do ordination especially when it comes to elders when I was ordained as an as an elder I wasn't ordained like a lot of churches they'll say okay we want such and such to be an elder and then we'll ordain them and they'll become an elder and then they'll start doing the ministry the way that happened with me is that I was already involved in ministry I was a ministry leader in um the youth ministry at my church that I was that I was at and I was doing well, the church seemed to think that I was doing a good job. So they ordained me as an elder. And that was an affirmation that I was doing a good job in that area. Um, not that, oh, well, we want you to do a leadership role, so we better ordain you. I, mm. I really like that. It's an affirmation of what somebody is already doing. So if somebody already has fruit, ministry, spiritual fruit in their life, then that's a really good way and a good reason to ordain them as opposed to, well... We want them to do a thing, so we better ordain them. Like, I, I think that, that's not as good a way to do it. 
Yeah. No, yeah, we're absolutely. Yeah, it's it's like here's the we're just celebrating that there are fruits in your ministry and God is already working in you. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. Never even I never I think realized that. Mm. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> so that's ordination. You know what? I just remembered another bias we should probably say as well. Yeah. Um I'm the the North well the the South Pacific division that we are employed as a part of has also been very much in favor of women being ordained in ministry. So we come from a division uh, in which yeah. which it's already been in favor of and even North New Zealand conference specifically. So yeah. Yeah. Not that they have ordained any they actually haven't ordained any any fem- no. any women, but um they are just they've been very vocal about them being in favor of it. Yep. That's that's yeah. true. I mean, when you Quick think about note. when you think about Adventism in the world today, I mean, the South Pacific is generally, at least in the West, the Western South Pacific, Australia and New Zealand, definitely are considered more liberal and a little bit more relaxed when it comes to certain things than our brethren in other parts of the world, particularly North America, I suppose. Hmm. Yeah. Yep. So that's definite bias. Like it's like we were born into that bias. It's like, it's like, are you? Did you grow up in the South in Alabama, or did you grow up in Portland, Oregon, or something like that? Like, you know, Portland, Seattle. Like, definitely, you're born into it. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Cool. All right. Um, all right. So the next part is we talked about ordination. Then we talk about the idea of pastors and spiritual gifts. Ah, yes. So, so yeah. What is a pastor? What is a pastor? It really comes like it's hand in hand with the word shepherd. Mm. Really, is where it comes from. Um, Acts twenty twenty eight. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the mm. Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which He bought with His own blood. Mm. Um, Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. It's, it's it's kind of that. I don't know. <laughs> but these days. Like the role of a pastor is quite big. It's not just looking after people. It's leading. It's visioneering. It's administration. Mm. It's yeah. Um, sometimes you have multiple flocks in a way, like multiple churches you're looking after. So, and yeah, the 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 idea of pastor is always as a spiritual gift. It's particularly in the New Testament. Like Paul mm-hmm. talks about it again in in 1 Corinthians. He talks about it in Ephesians, uh, particularly, let me look at it, Ephesians 4, verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So these are functions. These are functions mm-hmm. that specific people um, perform in order to build up the body of Christ. I don't know that necessarily Paul intended for these to become vocations, like you actually become a professional um, prophet or a professional evangelist or a professional preacher or teacher. I'm not quite sure. Well, he does talk about he does talk about um, you know somebody who preaches a gospel being paid for it. That's true. You know, that's true. He chose to do it like to just make tents, but so I think he did have a bit of foresight to people being. And you know, at least being able to do it full time, mm. mm. or ministry in some capacity full time. I would be interested to go back to the first century, and if you were to ask the Apostle Paul, or you know, even Peter, or some of the early church leaders, if they saw some of these roles becoming full time paid jobs, I wonder what they would say. I, I would find that very interesting. Yeah, but as well, even the 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 idea of a full time paid job. 
is almost a modern idea in a way. That's true. Back then, it's sort of like you just do whatever you do to survive. You know, yeah. if you have a farm or you work on a farm, you do that. And it's, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Paul was yeah. Paul was a tent maker, so he would you know make tents, and that's how he would pay for a lot of his stuff outside of the I guess the the donations and the sponsorships that he probably would have received from the church from time to time. Well, yeah, even just people bringing him, him into their house and to to eat together and yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. It's so. I think so. It's mm. obviously just our context looks very different, you know, with like yeah. healthcare yeah. and I don't know, getting a, a fuel card and all that kind of. You know oh, what I mean? It's yeah, just so totally much extras, isn't there? <laughs> well, yeah. It's but I think it's just it's. I think it's awesome that we have this opportunity, but it's probably really different from back in those days. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so I think I think you know what's what's clear is that a lot of these gifts, they're gifts, they're they're spiritual gifts that God gives to the church so that the church can be built up. And the other thing that we should mention um, is: is there a clear delineation between spiritual gift and a gender role? So does 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 Paul or do any of the early apostles say, okay, God gave the teachers, the teaching gift to the women. Uh, did God give the evangelism gift to the men? Did God give the, I don't know, uh, administration gift to the women? Or, or like, is there a clear delineation between what is male, what is female, and the gift that corresponds with each gender? Don't, don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, you, I mean, it, you, it's yeah, it's you, kind of a rhetorical question, but like that's oh, obvious okay. in a way, right? It's just because you went quiet afterwards, yeah. so I thought you wanted me to answer. But. No, <laughs> sorry, I probably <laughs> phrased that badly. I mean, but that's that's the point, isn't it? Like, there's no, there doesn't seem to be a direct line between a spiritual gift and a gender role. Like, it doesn't seem like that's what Paul is trying to um, trying to argue for. He argues for gender roles in different passages, and we'll talk about that. But as far as like spiritual gifts, it seems to be open season in a way. Like the Holy mm. Spirit will give this the gift to whoever the Holy Spirit deems worthy, and that's kind of like a a godly mystery. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. Yeah, uh, and that that's the thing. You 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 never you have no control over the gift you're going to get or the calling you're going to get on your life. And I don't know. I think. I think we need to be a bit gracious with that, with yeah. people. Um, I yeah. think that's where this gets a little bit hard because then, because you know, many of us, like your mother and our friend, many of our friends who we went through Avondale with, they genuinely feel that God called them to ministry. And I don't know how you can argue with that. Like it's really hard. Like there are certain people that they say they're called to something, and then their fruit says something different. Like that's that's something that you can kind of have a conversation around if you have a level of relationship with that person. But if somebody says they have a calling and their fruit is confirming that, then man, if you are in the anti-women in ministry camp, that that's really hard. Like, I don't know how you, well, what sort of arguments you can form against that. Mm. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's always hard to argue against anything. Like, God told me this. It's always hard to yeah. argue. <laughs> That's true. That. I mean, I always just sort of... I, I found it easier to just always assume that somebody else has really 
pre- like prayerfully considered and and studied what they're what they're talking about. If I assume that, it means I'm not going to be judgmental. Like, and they're just thinking like, oh no, they probably just they probably just don't really have a relationship with God. You know, they don't know the true God. But if you assume that they do have a thriving relationship with Jesus and that they have really been through a season of prayer about it, I think it makes your heart more open to maybe understanding and. Yeah, I don't know. That's a bit mm. of a bit of wisdom I've picked up, but well, I think it's wisdom. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> cool. So yeah, um, I mean, there is an element as well. I guess you could talk about with this though that sometimes there is like spiritual abuse and spiritual manipulation. Mm. Like sometimes mm. people, there are sometimes when people do say God told me this in order to manipulate and abuse someone else. That's a whole different category. Um, but again, it's if the fruit actually confirms the calling, yeah. uh, then you know you actually see God working through them, then it becomes pretty hard to argue. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we need to be just a little bit more humble when it comes to um, who gets the spiritual gifts and how do, we, how do we propagate somebody's spiritual gift? Like that's a whole new big discussion of how do you actually help somebody to fully realize that spiritual gift and i think a lot of the time we as the church don't do a very good job of that um we kind of end up focusing on you know the gift of one or two people over many other people in the church and i think that's a that's a big tragedy but that's a whole other conversation um Mm. yeah all right so we've looked at ordination and we've looked at what is a pastor um, yeah, and it's hard as well because in the early church there weren't there weren't pastors like there are today. I mean, there were evangelists, there were the apostles, there were elders who kind of pastored a church. They kind of shepherded a church, but it's more of a it's a verb more than a noun, I suppose. In the in the New Testament, it's like hmm. this is a role that somebody does. Like you pastor somebody. You are not necessarily a pastor. Maybe that's just the way that I think about it. But well, yeah, I got called a pastor a lot of times before I actually got the job title pastor. Interesting. You know what I mean? Like people would always tr- treat and treat me like their pastor and that kind of thing, even well before I got paid to do it. Wow, that's ironic because people didn't treat me like a pastor even after I became a pastor. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. sorry to hear that, dude. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> I get no respect. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, it's true though. Like some people, you look at them and you think, "Oh wow, they're like you." When you think, look at some people and you think, "Man, they're a real leader," or like they're really profound, or they're really wise. Like you treat somebody a certain way, irrespective of their title, um, depending on how they how they show themselves to the people around them. If you think of somebody as a leader, um, it doesn't matter if they have a title or not natural leaders will draw people to them and, you know, they will lead. Same with yeah. pastors, I suppose, you know? Yeah. No, you, you're, you're totally right. So, and that's that's the thing. Like, you can receive... I think most of the pastoral care you receive in your life is most, most of the time it's not actually from a pastor. It's from, mm-hmm. like, a small group of people or, like, your church community as a whole. But yeah. you'll have maybe one who's leading leading the way in that. I don't know. But yeah. um, I agree. I agree. There are many people in my church that have the pastor gift, and they, you know, they're artists, they're teachers, they're um, you know, retired, and mm. they have the pastor gift, and it's great because then you have a church full of pastors, and 
you know, it's just, I don't know. Churches that have lots of pastors, if they're leading in humility and they're leading in love, man, that's a great church to be part of. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, So let's talk about maybe, so um, some of the verses that people do throw out there. Mm. Um, Again, this isn't really a Bible study podcast, but (laughs) I guess we're going to be doing a bit of it today. Uh, I feel like we've been doing it more and more of it lately. Maybe there's a new chapter in Burn the Haystack on the horizon. But um, so anyway, our so let's just talk about some of the particular verses that people like to use, um, and I guess what it leads to in the first century understanding of or and the first century attitude towards women and all that kind of mm. thing. Mm. Um, so probably first things first. Um, First Corinthians thirty four thirty five. Um, uh, first Corinthians uh, fourteen. Fourteen. Sorry. First Corinthians fourteen thirty four thirty five. Felt like yep. I missed something out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, talks about how women should remain silent in churches. They're not allowed to speak. Yep. Uh, must be in submission, as the law says. <laughs> Don't you love that 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 little sort of commandment at the end? As the law as says, the law. Yeah. you can't argue with me because this is what the law says. Yeah. Um, if they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home. For it's disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. <laughs> oh, it's such heavy language, eh? But uh, there's so. I guess when you look at this verse, it, a lot of people would be like, "Well, isn't it obvious then? You can't." You can't lead. You can't if you can't if you can't speak, and you have to be silent in a church. Yeah. Um. So let's unpack this for a little bit. Yeah. Um. Yep. And there's multiple. There's actually like a whole lot of explanations you can go through with this as well. Um. If we're if we're being honest, even to the point where we were we were reading an article before this of um people who think that verses thirty four and thirty five weren't even in the original letter which i found really interesting. interesting i don't know that uh i like i'm again not like a greek scholar or something um mm. but if you're interested in that sort of thing you can go back and listen to our first episode with ben reynolds when he talks about the bible because he explains these sort of um differences in bible texts and translations yep and so essentially it, even well, in some even in some um manuscripts these two verses um don't appear here like in some manuscripts, these verses appear after verse 40, which gives even more credence to the idea that maybe they were a later insert by some zealous scribe somewhere who had an agenda to push, perhaps. Yeah, and unfortunately it made it in. But, you know, just for the sake of argument, let's just say that's not what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, even so, I think we have to understand there is a lot of first century context to deal with here. Oh, yeah. A, the the women in those times were not educated, right? We gotta you gotta like you gotta picture that in today's society we are all equally educated. That mm-hmm. is radically different from first century, R- yeah. radically, radically, radically different. Um, there was also a sort of cultural, um, I don't know, I don't know what the word I'm looking for, but there was, sort of, was basically in those times if a woman were to publicly speak independently. It's sort of um, it's sort of disgraceful to her marriage in a way because it's showing she's independent from her husband. Something of a taboo, perhaps. Yeah. Um, so that's sort of why there's a lot of talk in the Bible of like you know men being head over women and all that kind of stuff because mm. 
that's the context they were dealing with. Yeah. Um, and so there's a sort of element there where you've got to you've got to recognize that we live in a vastly different culture to mm. that letter. Uh, yeah. And so that's that's why I just get really confused. Like it's really confusing for us to read that. But back then, people wouldn't have batted an eye to it. They're like, yeah, that makes sense. Why would you want somebody who's uneducated? It would slow the entire process of a church gathering down. Yeah. If yeah. somebody had to sit there and ask about every single sentence being said. Whereas if they could gather together, the men would learn and then the men would go home. And they're even encouraging the women to learn at home with their men, which is probably a big step up from other cultures at the time. Who would say it's not women's places to learn anything. So just sit there and shut up and don't ask any questions and that's it. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's why this is actually pushing like an elevated level of of women than what is even seen around. And that's something you see constantly through the whole Bible. Yeah. It is actually elevating women to where the rest of culture had them the whole is, time. This is an interesting counterpoint because a lot of people look at the Bible today and they say, oh, well, it looks so um, outdated and it's so, um, you know, old school and it's so uh, misogynistic. misogynistic. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> the word that we use often. Yeah. And we completely ignore the fact that, I mean, the Bible was speaking into a culture that was way behind what the Bible... And I, I, again, we've talked about, we can't say the Bible says this or the Bible says, says that, yeah. but the people who were writing the Bible were trying to elevate women um, in a way that the culture of the time wasn't. So we might think that we are so enlightened and we are so advanced in our 21st century context, but it's very easy to forget that the culture of the first century, not to mention the culture pre-first century, treated women way worse than even the Bible recommends. So it's it, it's very easy for us to get on our 21st century high horse. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it, I think that's just incredibly unfair, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, I mean, that's honestly what you have to take into account with this. Now, obviously, people could say, well, you're just making making context to suit your agenda. Maybe you could say that. I don't know. But for me, I'm always trying to read the Bible in the most responsible light possible. And I'm trying to take into... Like, I'm trying to understand exactly what the the author was trying to tell the original audience so that I can bring that into today. And what I'm seeing is that they're speaking into a specific culture at the time. Yeah. If we were to bring that today, those same issues don't exist today. We have in in New Zealand, we have a female prime minister. Yeah. We have no choice but to have like a woman have authority over us. That's just what we live in. And you know, <laughs> we're, I'm not. We're, this isn't political, but I'm just I'm just saying like that's that's the sort of society we live in. Back then, that would never ever ever happen. Yeah, it would be yeah. if you even mentioned it back then. I couldn't even imagine the response. Yeah, we definitely. Um live in a society oh my goodness <laughs> dated memes jesse dated oh memes. i'm sorry i'll never let go of that one it's so good no, anyway, it's, a good, right. it's a high quality one um <laughs> but yeah it's so, true it's true yeah so that is that passage the other one uh well the other two uh come from ephesians and first timothy ah uh, yes yes um I don't have the Ephesian one handy on me. Um, I think you might be thinking about Ephesians. Is it four or is it five? It's five. Um, Ephesians 5 verse 21, 20, 
to 24, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Is that the one you were thinking of? I think so. Yep. Yeah. And then it should, we should also not just read that in isolation, but we should also just read, well, what's the equal and opposite commandment to husbands? Husbands, verse 25 uh, of chapter 5, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Yeah. Hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Um, and that's that's the big one. Um, honestly, a bit unpopular with some of my uh, female <laughs> friends. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be honest. It's kind of caused a little bit of... Um, a little bit of consternation whenever we go through Ephesians in like the small group setting. Um, but I think the big takeaway from this one isn't verse 22, it's verse 21. It's submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Um, we talked, what was it now, two or three weeks ago about Babylon. And we talked about in our in our Revelation series, in our Three Angels Messages series, and we talked about how the the allure of Babylon is I will exert my influence and power over everybody else. I will exalt myself. That's like, that's, that's the temptation of Babylon. I will do what is wise in my own eyes. I will define good and evil by my own terms and I will be great. And that, you know, we see that over and over again. And the opposite reaction to that isn't, um, well, just, killing the bad guys because if we kill the bad guys then we're the good guys it's actually humility and it's submission and who better illustrates that than jesus um and so we see that in jesus's teachings the first will be last and the last will be first um that in actually confronting the powers of darkness he doesn't confront the powers of darkness with a sword or a weapon he actually confronts the power of darkness with sacrifice and so i think that's what Paul is trying to argue here, that the way that we have healthy marriages and healthy relationships with our spouses is by um, submitting to each other, by our marriages being a submission competition. Like who can submit more than the other person? Who can actually humble themselves more than the other than the other person? That's the way that Jesus conquered the, the powers of sin and darkness. And that's the same way that we conquer... Um, the temptations of selfishness and self-centeredness in our relationships. I think that's what Paul is trying to uh, argue here, kind of in a nutshell. Mm. I would agree wholeheartedly. Um, <laughs> and uh, the other one is First Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 to 15. Again, not a very popular one. Uh, a woman should learn quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. I love that, propriety. Yeah, I know. It's, a, it's kind of a bizarre passage, especially in today's, um, I don't know, today's glasses. Yeah. Uh, but, okay, 
just some interesting side notes as well. I mean, you see the issue. If a woman isn't educated, it makes sense that you wouldn't give her permission to teach or assume authority, right? Yeah. The other issue that we have both, so Ephesians and First Timothy were both written to people in Ephesus. Ephesus had a very specific problem and a very specific issue that they were dealing with. And that was what they call the cult of Diana, right? So there's basically, I have so much to talk about here, but (laughs) in a nutshell, there was this huge temple, the temple of Artemis, or it could also be called the temple of Diana sometimes. Um, But it had this cult of Diana. Basically, they would get these young girls um, right around the age of, uh, right around the age of puberty. They would, train them into being like priestesses and stuff and they weren't allowed to be married while they were doing all this sort of thing. So essentially women were going down this very strange path in Ephesus. And so I personally think, um, and you know, it's fine. You can disagree with me if you want to, but I personally think that's what, that's part of what Paul was speaking into the issue of the cult of Diana. And that's Mm. why he talks about being saved through childbearing, even though that's not really part of our theology. We don't really believe that you find salvation through childbearing. Um, (laughs) If we, if we want to take this passage, literally, we have to take the whole passage, literally, (laughs) not just parts of it. Yeah. So I think that's something we don't, um, I don't know. Yeah. We don't really teach. Uh, So it's a very, very bizarre thing to try and pick apart. If you actually want to teach that, like, it's like, I don't, I I don't even want to touch that. (laughs) No, I don't really, but um, I think, I guess Paul was just elevating that how special, you know, again, women and men are different in anatomy. And I think Paul is celebrating that. Um, Mm. So I think, I think that's what Paul was speaking into personally. And I think he he was just speaking into the culture at the time. And I think in today's day and age, again, women are in a very different standing and that we're we're both just as educated. In fact, women seem to excel in schools um, faster than men do. Not better, but faster. (laughs) You know, their brain Mm. matures faster at a younger age. So I don't know. I, I find that really interesting. Uh, so th- those are our takes on, I guess, some of the key passages that get used a lot. Yep. Um, and again, I'm not trying to shut anybody down. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to explain exactly where we're coming from and making it easy for everybody to understand how we yeah. see it this way. And we're not going against the Bible. We're just trying to understand the Bible in a way that makes sense to us. Yeah. Particularly in this First Timothy two passage, I'm um, Paul's argument here seems to be something somewhat headship theology. Um, and that is something which, uh, especially the Calvinist tradition has taken, uh, and they've kind of built this entire theology around this idea of headship that Adam was formed first, Eve came second, Eve is Adam's helper. And so therefore women and men, they have these different roles. And I think what has happened unintentionally or intentionally, I'm not sure, is that we have equated different roles with levels of importance or levels of value. And so mm. we've said because men are were, were made first and because men can be leaders and teachers, then men are more important and women just exist to serve men or to help men, um, which is, <laughs> to be frank, pretty messed up, y'all. You know, <laughs> like it's pretty messed up. <laughs> like, and, and this is where I really struggle with the church because the church seems to have in some ways accepted 
a Babylon viewpoint, a Babylon viewpoint that we live in this sinful world, we live in this fallen world, so let's just form theology around that idea. Whereas when I think of the New Testament church and the kingdom of God, I'm thinking new creation. It makes me think that Jesus is calling us to live as though the kingdom of God is here now, to live as though heaven on earth is the reality that we live in right now, even if we still have to grapple with the idea of sin. And when I think of creation and I think of new creation, I think of Genesis 1. I think of, let us make man in our image, um, in the image of, of God, God created man and woman together. Man and woman form the image of God. Women and men are different. There's no question about that. But that doesn't mean that women and men have different levels of value together. They have this incredible value in being made in the image of God. Well, yeah, you see the difference in what Paul writes to the church in Galatia, you know, from verse 26 in chapter 3. So in Christ Jesus, you're all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. So that's the kingdom. And then he says, in the kingdom, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor there is male and female. You are all one in Christ. So he, he just... Those are all the areas in which people would see major differences in first century. You know, um, a Jew back then would be, I'm just, their, their, their prayer would be, I'm just so thankful I'm not a slave Gentile woman. You know, those yeah. were their big three. And he says right there <laughs> that there is neither Jew or Gentile. <laughs> there's no slave or free. There's not male or female. You're all one in Christ. So that's why I see this huge difference. And I think that's why part of the reason I think he was speaking so much to the culture of the time because he writes something completely different to the church in Galatia. And I think to me, that's the kingdom. That's what it mm. looks like. Where we're all equal in Christ. His blood makes like levels the playing field. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So true. So good. Yeah. And, mm. and I think I think as well, you know, like we are called to live in new creation, which means that we are not called to follow the patterns of this world. Um, the church did not follow the patterns of this world in the first century, which is why we have teachings that elevate women, that elevate the poor, that elevate the outcasts, that elevate acts of humility over um, shame and honor, you know, mm. um, that is what we as the church are called to. So if anything, I believe that we as the church are called to elevate women and minorities and the outcast and the downtrodden and the, um, yeah, the, 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 the taboos of society more than, than society itself. And so to, to have a church where society is now pointing the finger at us and saying, well, you mistreat women. You mistreat the LGBTQI community. You mistreat people who don't fit within your little sphere of what's correct and what's not correct, uh, irrespective of whatever the issue may be. And, you know, of course, we could have huge conversations around so much of that. And we have been just in this Mm. episode. Um, Irrespective of all that, I still believe that the church is called to elevate people who cannot speak for themselves, to lift them up and to give a voice to the voiceless. And for much of society, for much of history, women and men have been at odds and women have had not had a voice. And I believe that it's time for us to give them a voice, to allow them to lead us. We see that it, all throughout scripture. You know, when I think of the, um, the, the, the judge Deborah 
You know, when no other man would do the job, God called Deborah to lead an army to defeat the enemies of Israel. Um, that's 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 pretty crazy. That's pretty badass. You know, a woman <laughs> riding into into battle. You know, the the general um, says of of the Israelite army says, "I'm not going into battle unless you come with me," because mm. he is like so enamored with this woman of God who. God is speaking through that he says I do not want you on this I don't I do not want to be on this battlefield if you are not there because I cannot be assured victory if the woman of God is not with me like that is what God does God elevates people in the most unexpected ways yeah. and I believe as his followers we are called to do that as well well even like the the disciples didn't the women like the their followers of Jesus didn't the women weren't they the ones who handled all the money and the finances they paid for everything that's right yeah, yeah. <laughs> So I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. Who, who, did, who did Jesus appear to first after he rose from the dead? It wasn't Peter, James, or John. It was the women. It was Mary. It was, yeah. you know. <laughs> they are the ones who, they brought this message back. They were the first ones to experience the risen Jesus. And when they went back, nobody believed them. Why? Because they were women. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. So that's, I don't know. That's why, like, I just, I find it really hard to see this from another perspective because you look it's easy to take a couple of verses and see it one way but when you look at the whole trajectory of scripture yeah it's i feel like the ball is definitely in one court one side of the court you know i don't know if that's a good analogy i don't play sport but you know that's (laughs) the ball's doing something (laughs) there's a goal there's players and it's yeah anyway (laughs) games sports yeah all right i think i think the the overall thrust of scripture is for new creation is that god did something through jesus and that god is continuing to do something through the church through the holy spirit today that i don't believe and this might be a little bit of a controversial statement but i don't believe that god stopped speaking after revelation i believe that god is still speaking today and i believe that the trajectory that scripture is pointing us towards its purpose is to point us to new breakthroughs in the way that we love each other, in the way that we are generous, in the way that we elevate the people who have not been elevated, the way that we give a voice to those who have not been given a voice. Mm. And so I think just because something in scripture maybe isn't super clear and maybe it is up for debate, debate doesn't mean that scripture is trying to is not trying to point us beyond scripture because I believe that scripture is that God is trying to point us beyond into that new heaven and that new earth and that we as his people are called to follow him, are called to journey with him, are called to build that future, that 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 future in Revelation 21 when heaven and earth come back together. That's what we are called to do. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So to close out, let's talk about a little bit about our experiences with women in ministry. And, right. and ordination of women. Because I think that's kind of where the, the rubber hits the road a bit more. And I know we've talked about this already. Um, but yeah, I think the biggest thing for me in why I think... It, well, yeah. Why I think we, women and men in ministry should have the exact same career path. I don't know if yep. that's the right yep. word. but The same opportunities. E- the, equality of opportunity, I think, is what we're trying to argue for here. Yeah. 
Um, and you know, I don't care if we have to rename it and all of a sudden none of us get ordained or anything anymore. We yep. say we all get commissioned. I don't mind if that's it or if women get ordained. I don't, I just want all of us to have the equal, the same equal opportunity because I believe that's where the Bible's heading. And I think for me growing up, you know, I saw my mum touch people's lives in, in ministry and, um, Mom, I know you're listening. I love you. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, but yeah, she just she touched so many lives that other pastors could not have done. You know, like a male pastor could not have done that that same job. Um, yep. To be honest, and you know, she's my mum has always said she's not there to take away from men, but just to add. You know, to to add to this whole team that we have. And I think that's really important. I remember yeah. when I first went to Avondale, because I think I'd grown up in maybe a little bit of a bubble, um, not really a bubble, but, you know, just with... And I was so shocked that the class, like the whole Avondale theology department, I was so shocked that it wasn't like 50-50 men and women. Mm. I was like, why Where all the, like, why, why is this all dudes? Like, why are there only <laughs> two girls? Like one or two yeah. girls here. And I thought, oh, maybe it's a CCE level. When I look at the other year levels, I'm like, oh my goodness, this is the standard. Why yep. are no women studying theology? I was honestly just baffled by it. Wow. And I started talking to people and I'm like, hey, wh- why Why do you reckon there are so few girls studying? And they're all like, what? Women can't be pastors. I'm like, what? You know, I was like, the, <laughs> yeah, I'd never, I mean, I'd heard it a little bit, but I didn't think people my age believed it, I guess, at the time. Yeah, that is baffling. Yeah, well, to me, it was bad. Like, I, you know, I get yeah. it now, yeah. but at the time, yeah. it was so foreign to me. I can imagine what that must have felt like. Yeah. 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 So, I, I don't know. For me, I've just always, like, if we have, like, a mix on the team, it just, it enhances all of us. Yeah. That's and that's how I've seen it. I think that's why I really don't like the, the idea of complementarianism because I agree with it in principle. I agree that women and men are different. I agree that women and men can do different things and and they can um they can speak to different experiences that the opposite gender doesn't have a right to perhaps or doesn't have the capability to Mm. but that's where i think complementarianism fails is that it says we have to just put women in this box and they can do certain things but there are a whole bunch of things they can't do and men can do a whole bunch of things but there are a bunch of things they can't do as well. And for the women that I have worked with in ministry, um, just, <laughs> it's so, in our context, I mean, I would love to work with a woman in my local church context. I would I would love to. Um, and for those of us in ministry that, you know, we don't have any women near us, I think that's a real tragedy because I know for some of the ministry and the um, pastoral care, especially uh, uh, sort of things that I have to deal with, a woman's influence is sometimes just what you need. <laughs> you oh, know? yeah. There's, sometimes there's been so many times that- I've had, uh, like, had a girl or something come, or a woman come come to me with something, and in my head, like this whole thing's unplaying, and I'm like, look, you know, in my head, I'm like, I'm here, I'm the pastor, I'm here to help them. Dang, I wish there was a female pastor here right now who could deal That's with right. this because they would do such a better job than I can. They would do such a better job. Yeah, yeah. And even, even, yeah. and I know that, as we've said, spiritual gifts do not, they're not gender specific. But when it comes to some of the things that I have to deal with you know, on an administrative level, um, I have to lean on my wife 
for so much because I'm just not gifted in that area. And I know that there are plenty of men who are, but I think that's just, I think that really speaks to the fact that we need each other, you know, more than anything else. We need each other. Um, and we don't need to be getting our knickers in a twist about who can do what and who can get ordained and who can do what. Because I, when I think of my female compatriots in ministry, um, those who are in New Zealand and those who are outside of New Zealand, I am just so thankful for their ministry. I'm so thankful that they're here. I, I'm so thankful for the the impact that they're making in the church. And I think that's what made our conversation last week with Chantel Smith so painful because if I was in her um, conference in her region, I would be so thankful for her and her ministry. And the fact that she's leaving is, oh, it's just so tough, you know. Oh, and honestly, she's on like a whole nother plane of existence to me. I'm just like, man, she just feels so much more qualified to be a pastor than I am. You know what I mean? She's amazing. <laughs> I was like, how, yeah. how, like, yeah. She, oh. Anyway, I just feel her, like she's leagues above, above me in capability. Her region, her conference is going to miss her contribution and it's going to be profound. People might not realize it right now, but in the future, people are going to be like, man, really missed her. She really <laughs> added something. She really added something that we can't add. It's, it's, that's just how it is. We need each other, man. We need yeah. each other. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. I think that's where we're at. And so, I, yeah, I don't know. I would just ask that, look, whether you agree or disagree with us, I just pray that you would be praying over this whole thing, um, yeah. that you'd prayerfully consider it as well. Um, so, I guess this is just the perspective of two two guys in the field being, yep. being pastors full-time. Um if you want us to keep talking about this, we can. I don't know. If you want us to get a guest on, I don't know. Um, we can. Just let us know. Yeah. But um, I think we've kind of covered everything we wanted to talk about today. Yeah. Can you think of anything feel, else? I feel like we've just kind of we've bur- bur- bursted all out onto the table and it's all there and we're kind of just a bit raw right now when it comes yeah, to we this are. stuff. Actually, there is one more thing I, sh- I do want to say. I am well aware that the style of leadership of men and women, on average... Again, this is talking about averages. Differs. Mm. Women just lead organizations in a different way to men. Um, and again, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's uh, I think that's a good thing. And I think it 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 like because even I mean we all lead in different ways. Mm. So I don't know. I would just like to see more of that come together, and I'd like to see more of what that looks like. The way women can lead because. I don't know. There's a woman's touch to things. It just, <laughs> you know what I mean? It, yeah, it sounds so condescending, but it's true. It, it like it honestly is true. Yeah, you know? and I mean, there's a men's, there's a men's, t- oh, maybe like a men's thump, you know, but <laughs> <Men's> <laughs> to things thump. as well. But you know, like I've been on teams that are that are all men, and then they change and become like, like have female leadership on them as well, and the whole thing changes. And then I've been on teams that are. I was the only guy there and it was very different and then it changes. So I think, I don't yeah. know. I, I, I'm just, yeah. I think, I think everybody can probably attest to the fact that a team, if you're working for an organization or you're on a ministry team or whatever and it's all women, then there's some really serious potential for dysfunction. If you're on a team and it's all men, same deal. Like there's mm. no... Oh, women are better than men. Men are better than women. No, get it, get over yourself, mate. You know that's just not how it is. Um, 
I think we need each other. I think that is absolutely key and essential. And that's the gospel message. That's the gospel truth. And that's the end of it. Yep, that's it. So that's our message. That's our, not our message. That is our episode on um, women's ordination, equality in, in ministry and all that kind of thing. Um, but hey, we'd love to hear your thoughts as well. So yep. make sure you get in contact with us. Um, reach out. We'd love to hear from you. The best place to find all things Burn the Haystack is at burnthehaystack.org. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't already, please subscribe on whatever podcatching app you are listening on, whether it is Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, um, Abacus, Radio, uh, uh, Stone Tablet, whatever you listen on. Never heard of any of those, but cool. <laughs> um, yeah, and if you haven't already, please uh, write us a review, particularly on iTunes. iTunes is the best way for us to get visibility, and we really appreciate it. It's the best way to help us grow as a podcast. Absolutely. So, we love yous. You're awesome. That is Josh and Jesse out. Thank <laughs> you.